the thing that most of us need less of is choices in our lives. And so sometimes by offering those choices, it demonstrates that we actually don't know what our customers actually need or want. Welcome to NPS I Love You, a podcast powered by Catalyst. I'm your host, Ben Wynn, and this show is all about awesome people, ideas, and stories, all with a customer success twist. On NPS I Love You, I talk to everyone from artists to scientists, CEOs to CSMs, and everyone in between to give you powerful insights that will help you in your career and in life. This week, I'm speaking with Jeff Brunsbach and Jane Nathan from Higher Logic. Jeff is Director of Customer Experience. Jay is Chief Customer Officer. They are also both the founders of Gain, Grow, Attain, one of the world's largest and most amazing customer success communities that absolutely exploded in 2020. In this episode, Jeff and Jay talk leadership, customer experience, community building, and Jay's lifelong dream of being in a Jimmy Buffett cover band. I really appreciate you both making the time to do this. And I feel like you guys are up to your necks constantly in just customer success content and community content back and forth and tech and SaaS and all that fun stuff. But it wanted to take a break from that to start off and just ask if you were to drop everything that you're doing now and do something completely different, not that I'm saying you've fantasized you know, about doing this all the time, but if you were to do something completely different, fully removed from SaaS, what would it be? I don't know if this is maybe the my only answer, but I think the first thing that popped into my mind, I'm really passionate about like watching sports, like I'm just a big sports lover. And so the first thing that popped into my mind is I enjoy doing some like DraftKings, like daily fantasy sports type stuff. And so if I wasn't doing like SaaS, I've always told my wife, like I would try to go be not a professional gambler, but like a professional <laughs> daily sports player. <laughs> That's you know, a harder sell. Yeah, yeah. So there's like professional daily sports, but like doing that stuff, I love golf. So like something around there. And so maybe it would be taking like a building a golf blog or building some sort of like golf news website or something like that I would still get to kind of build and create and kind of be involved. That's a little bit more of a hobby, a little less outside of our kind of day-to-day day-to-day realm of SaaS. So that's nice. Mine. Sounds pretty sweet. That's good. I, I sort of expected it to have something to do with sports for you, Jeff. So I think one of the things that when we built Gangor Retain, we just got really excited about communities and the fact that communities could, like we had a lot of people coming to us saying, hey, like we'll pay you to be a sponsor of this thing. So if you could build a successful community, I think they can be really successful businesses. Jeff and I follow a couple of guys who just sold like a community to HubSpot for what $27 million, Jeff. <laughs> nice. So it was a, sort of like a small media company at, at the end of the day. But so I don't know. I think that's something in that realm. Although the thing that I would do, I don't know if anybody would really pay me to do this, but what I really want to do is start a Jimmy Buffett cover band. That's my lifelong <laughs> aspiration. So everything I'm doing is geared toward that at some point. Do you have uh, an array of like floral shirts in your closet just back to back? Yeah, I was about to say, do you have the attire? Yeah. Uh, okay, I guess I got to work on that yeah. for sure. I have like blue. I'm like the blue guy. I have all different blues of shirts, but no, I, don't, I need to work on my floral attire for sure. Do you already, uh, you already play an instrument or do you sing? Yeah, so I played guitar for like 30 years. And oh, nice. I've sung for about 30 years. I do both mediocre. And so <laughs> I, that automatically qualifies me good enough to be a Jimmy Buffett cover band. Jimmy Buffett artist. cover band. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like that. And I think mediocre is definitely, you have to be at least one step above mediocre because like I don't play any instrument and I am like probably the world's worst singer. So I think that is probably the floor. That's got to be mediocre, right? So you have okay. to be at least one step above. I mean, you can play at the clubhouse on Jeff's golf course when you... Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
when yeah. you sell Gangro Retain for twenty seven million. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, I miss golfing for sure. I I mean, for me, it's a it's a good day if stay in the double digits and I don't go over a hundred. Hey. So that's my goal, and uh, I'm there for the walk. Is usually the line that I say. Hey, that's not a bad thing either. I think I just went and played in a quick tournament over a weekend a couple, like two weeks ago, and it was like 75 and sunny here in Charleston. And so we shot terrible, but to be outside, uh, having a nice cold beverage and sitting in the sun in 75 degree weather in in South Carolina was pretty nice. So I'll take you up on that too. So if you each, so, I mean, we Jimmy Buffett and golf aside, you you each have chosen to (laughs) dedicate most of your time and energy to SaaS and in particular customer success and, and now community. But focusing on on the CS side, if you had to boil down the reason why you love and are passionate about the field, what would it be? I think to me, it, of all the roles in a SaaS company, it's probably the role that gets to touch the most other functions on a day-to-day basis. There's definitely a tie-in with product, certainly a tie-in in, you know, by extension with the engineering team. There's tie-ins with sales, marketing, in terms of how we position and go to market and identify you know, what's working and what's not in the customer base and how that reflects back into our sales processes and our go-to-market. So I, to me, it's just like the it's the center of the universe. And I've always been, I guess, a jack of all trades, maybe a master of none. And so I've always felt like in my career that that customer, this whole customer success being at the center of all the different elements of the of the context of the relationship is really the the place I like to be. Sweet. So that's great summary. Definitely what we're... He just stole my answer. So I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, I mean, I think maybe like a similar realm of what Jay was talking about too. I think similar path in my career, I've kind of been a jack of all trades. Like, you know, I've been in marketing, I've been in data and analytics. I've now done customer success. I've been an account manager. So I've kind of been around. And I think that maybe the interesting thing for me right now is I actually feel like the intersection of all those things are happening where... On a day-to-day basis, I get to interact with data and understand like what are trends that we're seeing. I get to then try and figure out how can we go impact customers at scale? How come then I engage with a number of specific customers on a, you know, a reason? And so I think it's kind of blending all these different things that I've enjoyed in my career. And I think at the end of the day, too, it, it's not every day is not the same. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely not one person that can say, hey, I would love to do the same same thing every single day. And so you know, one day I can be analyzing data and building decks. The next day I could be in seven back-to-back customer calls. And, you know, I like each of them, but I uh, also enjoy that they're not, you know, the same thing every single day. So, but at the end of the, I mean, I think if you boil all that stuff down, the reason why I like it though, is that you're just trying to drive more engagement and you're trying to drive interactions with people is pretty much, I think what brings me back every single time is that at the end of the day, if I'm looking at a number, if I'm building a deck, if I'm talking to a customer, it's trying to impact somebody on the other end. Yeah. I love that. It's the people side, right? That that always kind of brings it back together. It's a definitely jack of all trades kind of role, which is what makes it really exciting. But yeah, the mission is something that everyone loves, right? You're just driving value for people, connecting people. That's why I like having different people on the podcast, right? That aren't necessarily even CS background, right? They're magicians or they're musicians or they're doing other things, but it all involves understanding people. And that's what it all, it's all about, right? Yeah. And bringing them value. Yeah. Ben, why do you like field? You're in the field. I mean, I was in the field. Now I power the field. I'm the CSM for the CS community is how I, I view my, my job at Catalyst and community. But I mean, I love it for the same reason. I, I love people. I never thought I could be paid to do like people things, you know, growing up. Like that was never something that was on the table. And so when I learned about customer success, I was like, oh, all right. My brother's an engineer. He can do the stuff that is, uh, you know, requires that kind of brain power. And I'm going to, I can actually earn a good living doing people stuff. And it's what I get energy from. So yeah. 
haven't gotten bored of it yet. I like that too. I think the big, the big word that you just used too is getting energy from it. I've thought about that a lot recently, recently, like getting energy and momentum from like the things that you're doing matters so much more as you, you know, progress in your career, you find that you, the more time you spend on stuff that like exhaust energy from you, you're like, how can I get as far away from those things as possible? Definitely. And I think also like the older you get, the less patience you have for stuff that isn't entertaining to you or stimulating to you. I don't know if that's, uh, that's fully true, or maybe I'm just prematurely, yes. Uh, cynical about everything, but I'm like <laughs> anything that I'm not enjoying, I'm like, no, I got to do something else now. Life is short, man. Seriously. Well, digging a little to the, to the CS stuff because you guys are really across the board, like between what you're doing at Higher Logic and Gangro Retain and what you're doing before, you know, consulting, doing helping companies uh, with their CS functions. You've got your ear to the ground better than anyone else. So, I mean, what's the if I had to put you on the spot and ask you to list the number one challenge that CS leaders are facing today? Uh, what would you say that that is? Man, this will be a good one to see if we have the same answer or different ones. You want to answer at the same time? or? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I've got, I've probably got two and they might dovetail, but I think, I think truly impacting customers at scale, I think is one that just pops into mind. And the reason why I said, I said it in maybe that way is you hear things like tech touch, you hear things thrown around like automation. And I just think it's maybe a, the wrong way to think about it, or people are just maybe a little bit short-sighted in the way that you have to develop those types of programs. It's not just a, I can automate this you know type of thing, and it's not something that can, I think, just run continuously like you would envision. There's always got to be some human component. There's always got to be something in there that's that's trying to drive that. And so I think impacting customers at scale, how do you build the programs and the processes in place to do that, I think is kind of forefront. And the second thing, just in, in my role right now around customer engagement and customer experience is starting to understand that there is a a way to remove friction from the experiences that our customers have outside of the product. And so when you start thinking about interacting with our community, interacting with our support, interacting with our academy or training, you start to really look at the amount of friction you might be creating for a customer when they have one question, which is, how do I go do X? And you realize all the places that they could go get an answer and realize that how disparate those things might feel, whether you think they are or not, or internally, maybe they're tied together, but a customer doesn't really know that. And so I think, how do you create more seamless and um, frictionless experiences for customers is like the second one that I actually think is kind of a lurking a lurking thing that customers really have, or that companies really haven't addressed yet, at least that I've seen in a really cohesive way. So those are two that come to mind for me. Definitely. I would agree with what Jeff said. I think that for me, the problem or the challenge in these types of roles underlying all of that, it comes back to what I said about it being the confluence in the center of everything is that you have to be leaders in this field have to be very good influencers. And you have to think about your role as a role of influence as opposed to a role of direct control because there's so much that you don't control. So being a good influencer is about becoming a great leader. And so the longer I'm in these roles, I'm thinking like, how do I become a better facilitator? How do I become a better cross-functional you know, thinker and leader and actor, somebody who can convince people that we need to do things differently than we're doing them today. And, you know, some of it's people are just naturally gifted with that. I have to work at that kind of stuff because it does come down to the people side of things, right? You're influencing, you're communicating. And especially as organizations get larger and larger, some of the sand in the gears of, it becomes the processes themselves, right? The processes become heavy and complex and people have their piece of the pie that they're focused on in their department or their area of the business, but that makes us more efficient. It doesn't always make us more effective for our employees and for our customers. So 
I guess I think there's so many things that are like vexing problems in customer success and they're perennial problems that there aren't one answer to. But the thing that is the solution for all of them, and our friend Nils always says that the answer or solution to every business problem you have is leadership. <laughs> so how can we become better leaders? Can, how can customer success folks in general build their leadership skills to be able to, to lead on behalf of the customers they serve? I think it's a great point. And uh, yeah, definitely shout out to Niels. Everyone should check out his 30-day leadership uh, book that he, he released last month. And I think it's a, it's a great way of looking at the problem, like it, it, or the challenge at least. Is definitely come, leadership is a huge part of it. People's a huge part of it. There are a few things I want to dig in with, with some of each of the things you said, but on the leadership side, uh, Jay, like one of the, I'm curious, like you're CCO now, this big company, how do you get anything done? Like, I feel like you'd probably be in, are you in meetings like 99% of the time? Like all the leaders I know at that level are just like days, day, full days of meetings and it's so hard to produce. Like what's your balance like, or have you cracked some code to get a good balance there? I wish I could say that I've cracked a code. I have not. And yes, I have a lot of meetings on my calendar, but so does Jeff. I mean, so do a lot of folks. And I think to add to the complexity right now, so for everybody's context listening to this, Jeff and I joined Higher Logic in July or right at the end of July last year, in the middle of the pandemic. So, you know, we have a large team. Our company is about 360 people total. And 99% of those, Jeff and I have never met in person. So that's an added complexity. I've been digging into this personally over the past six months. I've created working blocks on my calendar to try to have some time every day that I can actually just get things done. But the reality of it is I need to spend a lot of time in meetings just because, again, it's coming back to some of the human interaction stuff that we have to do to keep the company moving forward, especially now since we're not in in person and we can't interact with a lot of people in a deep way, in a deep and meaningful way on a zoom call. Yeah. I'll give you like a different perspective just, you know, cause I get to watch Jay from the other, other angle, right. Is I think a couple of things stand out, which is you have to be able to communicate your, the goals and priorities in a very simple way. And I think, you know, part of what Jay, I think has been doing over the last six months is, is helping us to make sure that we're doing that on a consistent basis. Right. That's not, I mean, I think everybody would like to think that, you know, the goals are set, the priorities are set, and then you get to run for six months, right? And those are just set in stone. But what in actuality, like what I think Jay was going down is every moment at every instance, there's something that's kind of changing those priorities or there's, you know, there's some things that stay stable, but then there's some things that are flexible. And so I think, you know, one thing just from the opposite side that I think Jay's done a good job of is, you know, we always have to figure out what's flexible and what's not. And that's what we're always trying to pulse. But then at the same time, like, how do we say that in a simple way and a simple message that can communicate quickly? And I just think a lot of people don't realize how much time and energy has to go into simplifying the message for your teams. Because if everything was, you know, again, if we could just articulate everything and across companies, then, you know, communicate internal communication tools like Slack, like email, like all this stuff wouldn't necessarily need to exist because we could just say it once and it would happen, right? But you have to communicate through different channels. You have to make sure that the right people hear the right communication at the right times. And so think about how we have to go do that with customers at scale. And I would say Jay has to do that internally at scale and make sure that that's effective. And so I think it's just a big thing that I've noticed a lot as we've had to come into this business and change from a, a two-person team to a, a slightly larger team. Slightly, just a little bit. It's just how much that matters, you know, because yeah. again, back to the point, Jay and I working together, it was really easy for us to slack each other, look across the table, be in a meeting together and say, hey, we're going to go do X, Y, and Z, right? And we could go do it. Now it's, you've got a lot more that you have to communicate, but you still have to communicate it in a very finite period or finite uh, way. 
Yeah, simplifying the message is an underrated skill. Like it's, I've said it before on the podcast, but one of my favorite quotes is, uh, if I'd had more time, I'd have written a shorter letter. Because in order to boil down an idea... I was going to use the same quote. Were you? <laughs> it's it. such a good yeah. one. Mark Twain, right? I'll take your word for it. I don't even know. If it's, <laughs> it's just something I say. I've been taking credit for it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's such a... It's a great point, And it is uh, definitely a great skill, especially when it comes to change management, right? Like simple, clear, repetitive communication is the absolute key. And that's uh, definitely an underrated thing for sure. For sure. And then Jeff, I wanted to ask you, because I, I definitely agree on the... On the customer experience side, it's really cool because, like you said, it's about minimizing that friction. So a good example of this that I'm sure I can share, whatever, because <laughs> that's my role. We recently ran a, a customer referral program, right? So we were like, hey, if you you know, love Catalyst or you're you know, a customer, you're getting great value, here are some awesome prizes you can win, you know, refer us to people, you'll get entered in, blah, blah, blah. We got a few. We didn't get nearly like what our, our goal was. And in sort of analyzing after and talking with some experts in that field, it really came down to friction. It came down to, well, what were all the steps that someone would have to do if they like Catalyst? Do they, what forms would they have to fill? How many fields on that form? What are the steps? How often are you reminding them? It came down to that. And so he gave us these amazing tips that we'll use for round two that are basically like eliminating 90% of the friction points and seeing how we can get it to be like, the minimal amount of effort on the part of the customer. And I feel like a CSM, when I was a CSM, I'd feel that a lot where it was like, it would almost be easier for me to do the work for the customer to get them to be successful instead of getting them to do it because there was so much friction to do whatever the task was. Yeah, I think about it way too much. And I think, I mean, I think to your point, right? Like, it's funny you mentioned referral programs too. We were just talking with Christy on our little podcast earlier about building advocacy programs and references and referrals and Another thing to think about that we were talking about earlier too, just maybe to throw in your your bucket of ideas for round two is is also maybe trying to figure out what really moves the needle for individuals who are going to contribute to that program. So the example I was given earlier was like, you know, maybe for me, it I care a lot more about the fact that Catalyst is going to do a big event and I want free registration for that, where Jay is actually like, hey, you know, I'm not going to go to the event anyways. What I care about is if you give me a discount on my, on my you know, product that I purchased from you or you know, you give me something else of value, some swag, whatever else it is. So I think maybe even thinking about how do you personalize the experience for those people to make sure that the outcomes that you're going to drive for them can can kind of fit the bill. But yeah, I mean, I think the uh, it almost is the old adage too, right? We have all this technology that's now available to us, but is it all really necessary and do we need it? I mean, what's it really going to do for the customer experience? And so I think at any given turn, whether it's when you're thinking about, you know, them using tools and systems of yours or going to get training and education, reading support articles, how do you make everything as frictionless as possible and make sure that at the end of the day, they can achieve what they need to in shorter amount of steps, in less clicks, in less time and thought. Like I think sometimes people might forget that our customers are probably spending 30 to 40% of their time with our software, maybe less, right? And so there's a whole 70% of their job that they have to go do and they can't be researching all this stuff. They can't be figuring out which platform they need to log into to figure out X, Y, and Z, right? So our whole goal should be helping to minimize the amount of effort, maximize the amount of outcome that they can achieve. And that comes down to trying to figure out where friction exists. And then can we go remove that today? And if not, what's the plan? We remove it over time. And that's what I think about a ton as in my role right now. You reminded me of, uh, I was listening to the latest uh, Elon Musk and Joe Rogan interview. And uh, he said one quote that stuck with me that I loved, which was all input is error. That's how he views building out Tesla uh, because he was talking about, 
you know, they should, the car should know when you get in the car exactly where you want to go and how you like your seat and how you want the temperature. <laughs> it should know all of that. It should take you where you need to be. It should take your whole family wherever they need to go. And basically that's what they're trying to build towards is, is no input because all input is error. And while I think that's probably an unattainable goal, at least for, for, for some cases, I think it's an interesting way of looking at the, at the problem, right? Yeah. I mean, if you kind of extrapolate that into like the world of catalysts too, right? I mean, you think about all the kind of the, I think challenges that customer success tools have or community platforms have, right? We all rely upon kind of input of data and we always know that those are challenges in some cases, right? Because we don't know where the data exists or how do we get it? What's the frequency? How do we make sure? And so I think it's like a similar thing, you know, how do you make sure and trying to remove as many of those variables as possible? When you think about that, I really like Elon Musk's perspective on that. That's why he's who he is, I guess, because he thinks differently than most of us. But like, it's really ultimately about knowing knowing your customer and knowing what their goal is, right? Mm-hmm. So like Jess said, we were talking about this on a podcast earlier. And when you give a customer a bunch of options, like, hey, you know, go choose from our, our store full of swag that, you know, or, or you could have a free conference registration or you get something else, like that puts it back on them. And the thing that most of us need less of is choices in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes by offering those choices, it demonstrates that we actually don't know what, our customers actually need or want, right? Because we're just giving them something generic to choose from. It's a good point. Knowing the customer is critical in order to be able to build the product that will have as minimal inputs as possible. It's definitely something we think about at Catalyst, right? You guys are are working on kind of this intersection of CS and community, same as me in, in a lot of ways. So that was one thing I definitely wanted to make sure we could chat about today. So for a lot of CS leaders, community building is a new thing. I mean, for a lot of SaaS leaders in general, community building is new. So I wanted to quickly dive into like what you guys see as the biggest benefits of for customer success of having a community. Like if you don't have a community right now for your company or for your your customers or something like that, whether it's internal or external, is it something you should be thinking about? And what would be the top few reasons why? I think one thing, and I, I'm giving this example just because I saw it happen today and it's just like fresh in my mind, it's recency bias. But when you have two customers or even more than that, engaged in a discussion on your community. There's just something about that that you can't recreate yourself as the vendor, right? Like there, we, we've got tons of threads going, but there's one I, I happened to pop on this morning where, where there was somebody asking for kind of some, some best practices. And, you know, clearly we've got some internal kind of SLAs where we want to respond to customers and make sure in our community, we've got some responses that are going in, but we generally try and let it breathe for a moment. And the nice part was letting it breathe, right? There's tons of comments that have now come in and you're seeing not just one way that somebody could go do something. And so when you say best practice, I think it's really unique because now I've got five people who've commented on that thread who have done it slightly different ways. They might all kind of come back to the same, but there's just something really powerful when you start looking at customers who are connecting with one another. And I just don't think that you're ever going to be able to create that from a vendor perspective. And so that to me is just one key benefit is you now have customers helping customers. And that to me is like the ultimate one-to-many approach mm-hmm. or many-to-many approach maybe. So that comes to mind. And then I think the second thing back in resonating with something that Jay said earlier is just the the fact that I think you have another lens to know your customer even better because you can be a fly on the wall and see what they're posting, see what they're talking about. What are the types of questions, topics that are coming up? What types of events are they attending that we're putting out? And I think those things start to become valuable. I mean, you know, to your perspective, Ben, you've, you've kind of sat in marketing, you've sat in customer success, you're in community, right? And so I, th- I don't think you can't have enough of those insights, right? I think 
continually making sure that you're bringing those in to create better content, to make sure that people are coming back for a specific reason. And so I think it's just a really nice listening mechanism to make sure it's another avenue of how can we hear our customers and make sure we know what they're thinking about, what they're talking about, what's challenging to them right now. It's just another way for us to do that. So those are two that popped into my my mind right now. And the first one you said goes even back to the point you made around one of the key challenges people CS leaders are facing, which is supporting customers at scale, right? If you can enable customers to help other customers, it's a great way to handle your long tail segment. Yeah, definitely. Jeff hit on the exact two things that I was going to say. Like one is voice of customer, having that readily available at all times, being able to facilitate discussions. Like one of the ways that we keep a pulse on what's going on just in the customer success space is just by seeing what people are talking about on Gangrel Retain. Like Mm -hmm. for us, it's extremely powerful just to understand and stay connected because those are people talking about their problems in real time. Like it doesn't get any more close to the metal than that, right? Mm -hmm. But I'll really latch on to the second thing Jeff said. It's your products, whatever you sell, whatever product functionality feature, we've known for decades now that selling on features isn't the way to win, right? And I think if you look at what community brings into what you do, it actually, you're selling part of your ecosystem as part of the product. So community is a feature, is a capability of your company and you're bringing together people inside your company who may be really, really smart. Like I think both of our companies are both Catalyst and Higher Logic. We both sell to companies who look a lot like us, right? Mm-hmm. Other other software companies buy our software, and that's a luxury. A lot of companies don't have that, right? If you sell into the transportation and logistics world, or if you sell into the human resources world, like people don't want to talk to you about the problems necessarily. You might be you know, well-versed, you might do a good job of bringing together stories and best practices. But if you can connect people with their peers, game over, right? You win. If you can provide that connection and and people know that that there's an ecosystem out there of other folks that look like them when they use your product and are trying to do the things that your product enables, it's just a really powerful extension of your of your offering to be able to have a community like that. Definitely. It's huge. And it's yeah, I mean, it makes me think of, I mean, uh, definitely early on in my career, but I see it all the time now in, in Gang Grow Retain and in the CS Leadership Network and other communities where people are just joining and they're, it's, you know, when you realize that a million other people are struggling with the same thing that you do, like not everyone has figured out this perfect automation strategy or QBR deck that like looks beautiful and always gets the gets the renewal or, you know, people are always needing help with this sort of stuff and to be able to find peers who are having the same challenge as you are is hugely, I mean, it's powerful, but it's also just like, makes you feel a little better about (laughs) any struggles that you're having during the day. That's right. You're not broken. Everybody's broken, right? Everybody's got the same, same challenges. It reminds me of another, another quote, Ben, a C.S. Lewis quote that says something like friendship is born at the moment when two people look at each other and say, really, you too? I thought I was the only one that had that problem, right? So nice. I love that. That's very true. (laughs) Yeah. I think the other thing that I used to think a lot about when we started Gengar Retain as well as I, I thought, you know, Gengar Retain was going to to work because customer success seems so new, right? Like there's not one way to implement customer success when you start thinking about it. There's, you know, who owns the renewal? There's, you know, what type of commercial function do we have in? What type of incentives, right? There's so many different ways. And so I'd say, oh, well, then I, in my mind, I would say, oh, well, sales and marketing, they're so much more mature. They probably don't have communities like that. And then you start realizing that, no, they have just as robust communities, right? Like everyone at every instance is always wondering, hey, do I have the same problem? Or, hey, has somebody done this before? Because 
I think innately too, we're always trying to work smarter, not harder. And so like, if I can connect with somebody who's done it before and glean the information and hopefully avoid any of the the pitfalls, like that's always going to be like beneficial. So I think that's another reason why we've seen people just kind of latch on to community as well is that you can hopefully avoid the the step backs. You can avoid the down troughs or at least making, how can you minimize those maybe is the, the bigger thing too. Definitely. I love stealing things from people and I love when people steal things from me. I think that's that's how we all get better. I know we're, we're only down to the last few minutes. I had like 50 topics I want to talk about with you guys, but last couple of questions I'll, I'll throw your way. The, the flip side of being so ingrained in the CS community, I think, is that you see a lot of the repeat topics. You see a lot of topics and you're like, really? People are still like, they don't know the answer to this. They're still writing about it. They're still talking about it. What's a topic that you'd be happy never <laughs> a question you you'd be happy never being asked again about customer success <laughs> i don't know there's one i guess old trope or maybe old data point that people often point to and in, in uh even when we were consulting i i found myself sort of snapping when when i heard this it's like well i've read that like every two million dollars you have to have one csm like every two million dollars of the revenue so it's like Okay, like there's so many reasons why that is not the only answer out there, right? I get it. You know, it's, it's a benchmark, but you know, so I, I think some of those old maybe data points are are a little bit they're a little bit worn out because there's just so many different ways to to think about this stuff. But that's mine. I don't know. What do you got, Jeff? I would say a similar, probably similar vein is this idea that CSMs are trusted advisors and they can't have a financial conversation with a customer. I think that's just a it's one that's talked about all the time. You can't, you know, you can't have commercial responsibility if you're supposed to be this trusted advisor. And I just think it's, I don't want to say a load of crap, but I just think at the end of the day, like, I mean, it, it's you just, said you it. know, yeah, I did. <laughs> I just think at the end of the day, you know, it, it those things are going to happen. Like it, it's just, it's natural. It's part of it. I think it's, you know, maybe the more so the thing that I think about when you start thinking about those two things together is just how do you make it natural, authentic? How do you make sure it's, you know, from a good perspective and not just, you know, kind of thrown in there. But I think that's that's one that we've heard a lot and that I just have always kind of scoffed at too, which is like, hey, we can't, as soon as I mention money, then all of a sudden I'm, you know, I'm tainted in my customer's eyes. Like, I just don't think that happens. Trusted advisor, it's not a moniker you give yourself. It's a moniker that you get from somebody too. So don't, you can't really come to somebody and say, I mean, you're a trusted advisor. Well, really, what makes you my trusted advisor? But I think the other thing is if you're going to defend value, you have to understand the value equation on both sides, right? What is the cost? What are the parameters for that cost? Meaning when do you have to pay for it? How long are you in the contract with us for? And then by the way, like how is that offset by all the benefits you get from our products and solution? How can you have that discussion unless you understand both of those sides of the equation? So those are awesome points. And I mean, I think in, in, like you said, a lot of our customers, like we sell to ones who look like us, they're similar companies. And I think that's the case in a lot of, with a lot of B2B SaaS companies. So I think in that world, you really understand, like there wouldn't be that immediate, you know, walls up. It's like, no, I understand the role of a CSM is to, you know, provide value and then expand me. Like I want that to happen as a consumer of the B2B SaaS products that I use at Catalyst. So I think people are getting better with that, but I definitely agree that, yeah, it should be financial element for sure to, to prove value. And yeah, I don't know where the 2 million number came from. I've heard similar ones. And I think people just always need a rule. People are scared unless there's walls Yeah. about like, what's yeah. the right thing? Can I ask like, you know, is there something that everyone has agreed to? 
people are nobody, scared to take risks, right? So nobody got fired for hiring IBM, right? Exactly. So. That's this <laughs> That's whole thing. Right. We've had so many good quotes this podcast. Was that Mark Twain as well? No. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay. Last question. I'm going to throw it at each of you because I'm still stuck in quarantine despite the illegal haircut that I got yesterday. So I <laughs> <laughs> want to know what uh, each of your desert island movies and uh, corresponding snacks would be. I need some new uh, recommendations. I've gone through all of Netflix. That's a deep place to be, all, all of Netflix. <laughs> no, I haven't watched it all, but I've, yeah, yeah. I've at least scoffed at 99% of it that I won't watch and watch the 1% <laughs> that I will. I'll tell you like a guilty pleasure of mine that still comes back around. I used, I watched The West Wing. Like I used to love that oh, show yeah? back in the day with Martin Sheen. Mm-hmm. Right, let's make that up. Yeah, Martin Sheen. Mm-hmm. So like that's been a guilty pleasure. I've just kind of resurfaced during quarantine. It was kind of like getting back in some episodes. And then if I had to pick a, a snack, I've got uh, two for you. One is called Zowers. Have you ever heard of Zowers or seen them? But I'm scared it's something that we don't import to Canada because it doesn't meet our health requirements. But <laughs> I still, it makes me want it that's even pro- more. That's probably true. I already know Jay's is going to be popcorn. I won't say that. But I think the, the other one that comes to mind for me, uh, too, is I'm a big goldfish person. My wife will always fight oh me. She God. says Cheez-Its are better. She's like all this whole cheese, it's crazed, but like I could eat an entire carton of goldfish in like one sitting. So I'm with you. Jay, what do you have? First of all, cheeses are much better than goldfish. So oh. Christina is right. I'm, not, I'm with her on that one. I was racking my brain. We, we watched a lot of series on Netflix and everything else. My family, I'm not as into this as they are, but they're on like their second time all the way through all the NCIS seasons. Ooh. NCIS, you know what that is? Is it sort of like Forensic Files? Yeah, yeah. It's like, Navy investigators, basically. Okay. So I'm not as into that. But here's my recommendation, which is a little contrarian. I would say switch to books at this point. Okay. <laughs> I, I did that this year. I'm, I just finished my 12th book this year, but I listen to them. I don't read them because I would fall asleep if I read them. So yeah. So my, my advice is try some books instead. That's the hard part. I try to read 10 to 15 minutes before I go to bed because it's a great way to turn off your brain and actually sleep better. But the problem is it then takes me three months to finish one book because I'm reading like right. 10 pages a night and then I'm unconscious. So yeah, I gotta, gotta make some more time for that. But uh, all right, we're over time, but I, I so appreciate you guys coming on the show. Thank you so much and excited to keep chatting with you. Thanks, Ben. We'll see you soon. Definitely. Thanks, Ben. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a review and share this podcast with a friend. If you want to learn more about Catalyst, visit catalyst.io. Until next week, I'm Ben Wynn, and this was NPS I Love You. P.S. I love you. <laughs>